Welcome back to the Morning Cuppa Podcast. And this is me, Alan. To celebrate World Earth Day, today I am joined by Jesse Fram from Planet 1.5. Jesse is a sustainability consultant and expert in delivering sustainable change for businesses. With a background in marketing and sustainable process delivery, she has worked with some of the world's leading brands across various industries. As the founder of Planet 1.5, Jesse's mission is to save the planet one business at a time by working with organisations to integrate sustainability into their supply chain, operations and marketing strategies. In this episode, we discuss the pros and cons of being vegan, food waste and some great tips on how transport operators can reduce their environmental impact. Anyway, strap in, let's get to it. Oh. As we can tell with a lot of these things, um, the the technology and our prep is always as it is. So, hi Jess, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? Um, very well, very well. Thank you very much for joining me on on the pod. Um, I've this has been. I hope you're feeling better. I know we were trying to record last week and you weren't well, so I hope you're feeling a bit better this morning. I uh, I think it's taking the rounds, haven't it? And I was like, mm, then my partner, then yeah. all my friends and family, everybody just yeah, it, it went around. I think. Yeah, I, I I've I, my team have dropped like flies over the last uh, the last <laughs> three weeks, start of January. I don't know when we're actually kind of put this pod this episode out, so it might not make sense to to anyone talking about this illness. But yes, um, yeah, it's not not been a nice few weeks for illness. So thank you very much for for joining me. Um, so yeah, we'll jump straight in. Really, um, it's. I, I'm, I'm really glad we managed to finally get this booked in because I think you've got some really interesting things to talk about and your background of not being from a transport background, I think is an interesting one to talk about sustainability because that's obviously the focus of today. So I'm going to kind of throw the floor to you and just go, like, tell me a bit about yourself, your background and kind of how you got to, to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm not from the transportation in- industry, but that. It's not to say that I don't have an opinion on it when it comes to sustainability. So we can dabble into that. Yes. Um, my, my background is actually not sustainability either. I started out studying something as dry as finance when I was at university. And then when I moved to London, I'm originally from Denmark. I, I started my career in marketing. So I did about coming up 10 years in brand and marketing, just having a lot of fun working with a ton of different brands inside Unilever, Disney, insurance companies, banks. So really bit done the rounds. And I think all the way through doing that, I had this little devil on my shoulder saying, yes, this is fun because it really was fun. But you are also a huge contributor to a greater issue that we are having on the planet. So you fuel on the fire of, cons- of consumption and how can you keep defending that? Mm. And that just gave me an opportunity at some point, COVID, to stop and rethink and be like, what am I really about as a human? So I signed up for a Cambridge University course. I studied sustainability because it was, it was something that was on my, always on my mind that I wanted to transition into, but I didn't really know how. So studied that did a load of other qualifications on top just to kind of, you know, ease myself into it. And then one day I just took the leap and said, you know what, what I do have is great communication skills. And now I have a bunch of knowledge and I worked in big, with big corporations before I, I must be able to combine this and then found some good partners and we teamed up and I launched Planet 1.5. And today we help rather large, but also sometimes smaller organizations transition into the green agenda and i'm really passionate about it and it excites me when i see that we have a conversation and that chickles straight into the business actually taking action mm-hmm. i'll say i have this particular one example i always refer to last year we worked with a big construction company and they never never asked the question where's our timber coming from and i said well but we can see from your procurement list here that it's coming from from uh, potentially the Amazon rainforest is coming from Brazil. Wow. Maybe that should be, maybe you should question that. They're like, oh no, it's coming from up north in England. I was like, no, that's just your supplier, right? So the fact that they started then changing, I just think is, is a huge mm. win. So having those win under the belt is, is something that really excites me. I think that's uh, action. I, I think this, this has got loads of uh, 
issues, socioeconomic issues, sustainability issues, um, mental health issues. We can mm. talk about it. We can, we can mm. preach about it, but unless action actually happens, it's kind of pointless and sort of be able to action what you're talking about and actually see real change. I think is it that at least that's what drives me forward. As I, what you're saying, yeah. someone actually made it, made saw something and made a difference and made a change. I think it's really, really exciting. Exactly. And it got to be one change at a time. It's, we're, we're talking about all these big leaps, but we got to remember that from getting from where we are to net zero and focus on better biodiversity and having a healthy and thriving society with right to education and roof over our heads, we got to take a million small leaps yeah. within that yeah. to get there. It's the same with everything, though. I mean, I say it's what I say to my team. Like, we've got kind of big, big commercial goals as a business. We want to grow. We want to help more people. We want to make a difference to, to the wider society of, within transport and logistics. And that's our goal. But it just takes one step at a time. You just need to go it one really at a does. time. You just, you just got to keep moving. It's like if you, you're you looking up a mountain, climbing a mountain, it's like you got to take that. Effect. It sounds so cliche when you say it, but you've got to just keep moving forward and it's one step at a time and i think i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna lay it out there kind of right now is i'm not vegetarian i'm not vegan i know you are <laughs> i know i've seen your linkedin you're very passionate about this sort of stuff and and i i commend you on it i must say my, <laughs> my four-year-old has started to make the realization of where food comes from and she is questioning me of why do we eat those and i you have a very good point for me it's behavioral change that i struggle to make change with but anyway that's yeah. By but do you know what? I have a point on that. I don't think you have to be fully either or. I'm going to confess on this podcast that occasionally I have a burger. I just absolutely love a burger. Um, it's my go-to. <laughs> and I think we can't restrict ourselves so much so we don't live. But if we, yeah. if everybody were not even vegan but vegetarian 98% of the time, and then every now and then, fine, then go and, and have that cheat then it was fine but the fact that people don't dare just cutting down a little bit is i, th I think i, I almost i almost look at it the other way you look at I, I, mean, I don't know the statistics i must say i, I very rarely do much preparation for the podcast and these all come up and I'm like, <laughs> i wish i knew the thing i don't know how many people that say in the uk are vegetarian or vegan but i guarantee it is is in the single digits percent i would have thought looking at society i, I think it's Vegans are very loud about being vegan. It's a bit like being mm. a middle-aged man running a marathon. You know, if they've done one, they'll tell you about <laughs> it. Um, like so, riding a bike. Yeah, 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 exactly the same thing. I mean, I, I run marathons. I'll tell everyone about that I run marathons because I am a typical white middle-class male that does those things. Um, but anyway, the, the, point, the point being is I don't think there's as many vegans, vegetarians as maybe meat eaters. And then screaming and shouting about it is great. But actually, if everyone in society went vegan 10% of the time, it's probably as good as 10% of the population being totally vegan. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I, I think that... it would definitely move the needle. I say there's, there's being vegan or, or vegetarian or very limited is one, is one side of the issue. I like to say, I don't know if it's an even bigger, but at least getting up there, issue is our food waste being a massive yeah. problem yeah. so if we could solve that then we wouldn't have the problems either we're producing more food than we can collectively eat on the planet but still we're having i can't remember the right numbers but we're having so many people being um malnourished and yeah. not getting the food they need every single day and it has to do with distribution as well yeah. so getting the right distribution challenge out which, um, getting it to the people that need it which does link in with the transportation space i guess mm -hmm. looking at how, yeah, how food gets around so it, it is it's 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 all part part of the the, the system that, that we exist in um Psst, out of here. just a quick interruption to the show quickly I just want to let you guys know of a brand new product that I am super proud that we've launched over the last couple of months. The Transport Managers Collective, or TMC for short, is a digital community of TMs to share best practice and ultimately improve safety and compliance on our roads. Not only that, it's been designed to foster close, meaningful connections with other like-minded individuals to help improve your own mental health and reduce that sense of isolation that many TMs face in their professional roles. As I said, I'm super proud of this community. So do go check it out by going to www.tmcollective.co.uk. Anyway, that's enough from me. 
now back to well me but yeah so i mean what what i mean in a nutshell we've sort of gone through kind of your journey from kind of kind of education through to planet 1.5 but what is planet 1.5 what what's what's the mission for 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 your company so the quirky mission is saving the planet one business at a time. That's the mission statement, but yep. I come from marketing as well. What that means in action is going in and helping businesses rewire their current strategy so that they're not necessarily compromising profit and revenue, because I am a true believer that we need profit and revenues in our businesses to actually put things into motion and action, which just requires money. That's how we build yep. our society. But help business leaders understand that sustainability is also a risk exercise. So it is monitoring implications that that could hit the business from a sustainability perspective. Uh, an example I always use is the car industry got paralyzed for a few for a few years back because there was a flood hitting some of their production warehouses in Thailand, which meant that there was a very specific component they couldn't get. And that simply meant that that they couldn't produce and sell what they needed. So that's a risk issue, right? So yep. that's a business implication. And then on top of that, you also need to earn the right to operate in your local environment. If you are depleting the oceans for fish or putting up windmills, as an example, um, which, which goes in and interfere with the biodiversity, that will take away the jobs from the local fishermen. So we need to make sure that that's not happening. So how are we ensuring that our presence and impact are not inflicting negatively on the people and the environment we're having around us? So risk mitigation of the business, but also risk mitigation of the society and local environment. So how do you actually do that? Do you actually kind of, do you, do you go in as consultants, you go into an organization and sit down with them and actually analyze bits of their business and then sort of put together a, a strategy in place to, to help them move forward or yeah, have them exactly that. They're, they're, I'm guessing there are frameworks out there that like, exactly that there are frameworks. So we will, if it's a completely new business that's not really touched on this before, we'll go in and create what we call a baseline year. So we'll do their carbon footprint. So that's the emission side. We'll then identify hotspots for where your biggest emission drivers and can we set some targets where you can start moving progressing towards doing better on that but we'll also do a holistic analysis of the business and its operating environment so speaking to people within the organization speaking to stakeholders around the organization so that could be clients it could be suppliers it could be people that are impacted by the presence in the local environment go and speak to them and just understand their view of the business and then we start mapping out different triggers across social and environmental, sometimes even economic. We understand how the business already built governance around this organization. And then we use this information to identify hotspots. Um, so formulating this into an action plan for year one, and then in year two, okay. to come back and say, okay, so what happened and what didn't happen and help them build up new targets and new strategies to keep accelerating the business into the green agenda. So this is so Planet One Five came out of COVID. So you've mm -hmm. been going what three three years now, two three years? Uh, yeah, a year and a half. Okay, so you haven't yet seen. Have, have you have you started going back into customers that you started working with to begin with and started doing their sort of like year two, year yes. three? We're starting to do that right now. Where we're going in and saying, okay, so what happens? And I'm going to tell you, it's much easier to do it the second way around, second se second year. Because yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> the first year is. You're running around with the finance department and saying, okay, so can I have some uh, data on where did you buy this from and how many amounts did you do and, and who are these suppliers? And if there's 10,000 suppliers, we've got to make priority lists around who are we actually inviting into conversations, um, who's, who's the biggest driver of impact in your supply chain. But once you've done it once, the business quite quickly realized that if we do this every year, we've got to build a system around it. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's how that is. So do you, are you starting to see the impact that you're having on these businesses? Do you, you go in and see what they've done in the last year and you kind of go, we said we were going to help you do this and you have done this and you have reduced your emissions, you have done that and you actually, you can now see material impact of your yeah, definitely. intervention. So you're starting to see that now. 
We're definitely starting to see that. A classic example is waste. So we work in a construction business. They were having a ton of waste um, lying about that they didn't necessarily repurpose or were very aware about what happened with it. So now they're really deliberate in where it's going, but also half the problem with just laziness. So building an awareness and a culture within the business actually started accelerating some of these points. And then I think the other thing which we're starting to see is the culture within the business. It's just, it's a changing mindset. So everybody that are on a building side or driving, driving a vehicle from A to Z are well aware that they shouldn't, they might go out with a product, but what can they actually do to optimize to go back with something as well? So they're yeah. trying driving around empty. And, so, that, and that, and that has a real implication yeah. of revenue as well. Cause obviously mm. we, we, there, totally. there's whole, I mean, there's a whole host of products and platforms out there that help transport operators, uh, fill backloads. So they've got a vehicle going 300 miles away and they'll then find something to bring back to where they were coming from. Cause from a, a commercial point of view it's like well it's dead miles you're, you you don't get paid mm. for that return load so you're not just costing you money you're obviously having an impact on your, your your emissions and stuff whereas if you can make commercial revenue back obviously that's great for business as well and doesn't doesn't exactly. reduce your emissions uh, but exactly. it makes the most of of the emissions exactly and it's one of our points is I think there's a good business model in doing sustainability because you start yeah. becoming more effective and you're utilizing your resources. So the waste example as well, instead of having bits and bobs of stuff lying and floating about, they're saving huge amounts of money of actually utilizing what yeah. they're having. What they've pro into pro the problem business. with a lot, of, I mean, my, my wife works in construction. She has done for the last 15 years. So kind of I, I see it, I see inside a lot of these firms they'll over order by 10% for wastage and mm. you'll get, and that's fine if you're like ordering things like timber when you make a mistake or a uh, kind of aggregate where you might n mismanage volumes. But like these companies will over order like 10% on doors. It's like, well, you yeah. need a hundred doors. Don't order 110. Like you're not going to exactly. make a mistake in and that sort of thing. And again, I know we renovated our house a few years ago and we got a lot of our um, materials we got on various Facebook groups and I can't remember what the platforms are now, but they, you can go, construction firms will just go like this is waste come pick it up yeah like we're not going to use it don't don't come pick charge it for it just come and say because obviously they got to pay to dispose of waste so it's saving them money um but talking about construction and waste we've one of our customers we work with is a uh, concrete firm so they they mix up concrete yeah. for they've got quite a lot of jobs on hs2 at the moment which is there's not going to the uh that that i think there's 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 many many kind of discussions <laughs> oh, many, many 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 opinions on that too. Yeah, yeah no yeah, so yeah. do i so do i but um uh yeah they, did you they, know by the way exciting now that you mentioned con concrete it's the second most uh used met or consumed material on the planet is it really uh, yeah after oh, it water. makes sense wow after water isn't that there crazy? you go yeah I can't remember how many hundreds of tons per citizen on the planet per year it is that we pump out, but it's an absolutely insane number. Oh, I never really thought about that. I say we, yeah. we, we, a lot of our, um, uh, customers are working the, in the, um, in the construction space and working with aggregate asphalt and concrete. So it makes sense. Um, yeah, no, what, what I was going to say was he, um, so they'll sort of, send a truck with, with pre-mixed concrete and they'll, the, the customer will order 12 cubic meters or whatever of material. He'll pour it. They'll only need 11 and they've ordered 12. He can't reuse that concrete. Um, mm. so what would normally happen was he would just basically pour it on site and that is their problem to deal with. But then mm. he realized that people want to buy blocks, concrete blocks. Um, farmers want them, people like road users want to use them to block off like driveways and stuff. So he bought some molds. So he then comes back quick because concrete mixing is one of the few uh, vehicles that can't do a return load. <laughs> you can't fill it up <laughs> from the side and bring it back. So it, it doesn't quite work. So he brings the material back, pours it in the mold, and suddenly you've now got a concrete mold that you've got zero wastage. Like literally, his wastage is zero now. Um, That's really good. And I looked at his, he spoke about kind of how much revenue makes. He actually makes more money off selling that block. He does off the the value of the concrete that he sold. So, That's and, good. so, and it's complete zero waste. It gets used. It, it's, and from a commercial point of view, it obviously is really good for business as well. So I think exactly. there are, and it's, there are... I think that's a general point in that. So he's obviously innovated on the, how he's utilizing a product. 
Yeah. And I think sustainability is the perfect brief to do innovation free. So back in the days, we would have our businesses and we say, what can I do to beat my competitors? And I always refer back to when I worked with creative teams in, in marketing, we'll give them a brief to try and achieve something. So this is your creative brief to say, you have your business, but you need to look at your innovations from a sustainability point of view. What can you do to go greener and beat your competitor? So yeah. that's the brief. And I think that gives you a focal point, which is really yeah. strong. Yeah. I think it can, it can get very overwhelming of like, oh, net zero or like sustainability or like <clears throat> reduce carbon footprint. These are all really big, scary things for a business owner to, to focus on um, and sort of, yeah, giving a giving a focal point to help people kind of rally behind, I think is really important. So um, yeah. we spoke about, I mean, I want to touch on it briefly. Um, we spoke about kind of frameworks and um, uh, things that, um, um, uh, accreditations and then sort of like mm. standards that the businesses can, can aim for. I know when we spoke in our sort of pre-podcast brief, you mentioned a couple, um, mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just quickly, just very briefly touch on them, because I don't think they are relevant to a lot of our target audience because of their size and scale, but I think potentially mention them and discuss them in, in, in brief might not be a bad shout if anyone wants to go and research and have a look up what they stand for. Yeah, and so definitely. And I also say it might not be that you, by law, has to apply with some of the frameworks. I will mention them, I get to it. But we're seeing with some of our clients that commercial consequences starting to kick in because they might be medium-sized businesses and some of the ones they're doing business with, with, they have to comply. So the lens they're looking at the supply chain with is going through these frameworks. So yeah. even though you're not demanded to do everything to a T and comply with it, having some sort of awareness can definitely help you position your business towards these bigger players that you're trying to get business from. Yeah. So there's a absolute uh, overflow of frameworks that you can dive into, but I will mention the main ones. So GRI is what I'm a sustainability professional under and GRI stands for the Global Reporting Initiative. It is a report that businesses will usually publish one time per year. They usually do it while they're doing their, their, their financial statements as well. Um, so they publish it either side by side or as an integrated report, as we call it. You could say that that's just a dusty document that will lie in a drawer. What I think is exciting is actually the process of how you produce the dusty document. And you can then use it as a compass to navigate change. So it becomes this handbook for employees, your expectation for suppliers. It becomes a very um, clear roadmap of what targets you have decided to focus on and what might come later. So that's what that is. And it goes across social, environmental and economic, and it's a way of establishing governance around your business of how we're actually going to get from A to Z. So that's TRI. If you are operating in the European Union, they have in the mid of last year confirmed that about it will hit about 50,000 businesses that will have to comply with the CSRD regulatives. So that's, again, disclosures. What's interesting is that they haven't launched them fully yet, but it's been written in collaboration with GRI. So if you are looking at GRI, you, are, you will be complying with CSRD as well. You'll be on the right track. So yeah. that would be where I would put my focus because we are in the UK slash EU. Um, if you're going to America... They are using what's called the SASP framework, so S-A-S-B. I have a personal little but with that one. SASP is predominantly focused on securing the business in terms of risk management. So we used the, the story before around um, the car industry being hit by floods, and then you're making sure that you are managing risks around the business so you can be operative in 10 years. SASP is not as much focused on actually um, ensuring, risk assuring the local environment and society in which the business is operating. That's why I chose to go with GRI because I just think that's the only right way to do it. Like, otherwise, we're never going to progress into the right into the right direction, right? So yeah. there's that. Then other than that, um, if you're really ambitious, you can use the science-based targets to go out uh, in public and say, we're having a carbon-focused target that are really 
grant that we're trying to achieve, and then the world is kind of keeping you accountable. And then there's other smaller frameworks. So B Corps is very much for B to C. You might have seen when you're buying yeah. a bag or some clothes, something that they're B Corps certified. So that's a whole process as well, similarly to GRI, but just different, right? With this focus where businesses are going through it and then they're getting this accreditation to say, is it, you are now. <clears throat> so B, B, B Corps, is that, is that mostly just environmental or does it cover the whole sort of socioeconomic? It covers the, the whole realm as well. Okay, because I saw I saw on LinkedIn recently that uh, BrewDog lost their B Corp status. I know, isn't it fantastic? Um, Do you know what? It's I have sometimes been a bit provocative as well in my social media clients that I'm not having the biggest, I'm not the biggest pro speaker of B Corp, and it is with the history of them not booting out Nespresso, um, BrewDog businesses like that. It seems like anyone and everyone can get this accreditation and yeah. we've got to uphold some standards and yeah. it's their responsibility. And I also say, I don't think BrewDog got booted out, but they ended up, it was kind of a silent agreement between like, this is not really working out, this break up for now at least. Yeah. Um, I think B Corp should have done, a, done themselves a favor and literally just kicked them out because they have better standards than that. What's, what's your uh, problem with BrewDog? Well, we just got to start treating people nicely around me, shouldn't we? I mean, you can't, you can't say that you are doing all the right things for the people on the planet and then you're not treating your employees well. It just doesn't work. It's a holistic approach to be yeah. a, a sustainable business, right? You can't, yeah. You I, find it very, I find it very difficult because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, from, from, I'm a, I'm a I say a big beer drinker. I like craft beer. I've got a friend that runs oh, a brewery. Yeah. yeah. And so I quite like Brewdog's um, bars. They're very well run. They're, they're mm -hmm. very well set up. I like me and my friend going drinking there fairly regularly. Um, <clears throat> it's very hard to actually understand how they treat their employees because on one hand, you've got kind of BBC Panorama kind of episodes mm -hmm. like going in and doing investigations, but then you've got kind of other people saying other things. It's just like he said, she said, it doesn't, I, I, I don't like having an opinion on it because I think it's tough because I think as a startup myself, sometimes you do grow quicker than you intend to. Mm. Um, and some cultural values do get lost, whether that's mm. an active kind of decision you make to treat employees that way um, mm. or not is I, it, it, you can have two or three, you've got, he, he employs thousands it's like yeah. you could you can have two or three disgruntled employees that get a voice and then suddenly you can be tarred with and i'm not saying he uh, uh, james what is is an angel any any sense of the word but it's just sometimes it's some things get blown out of proportion so i, I don't like to mm. be too provocative with companies like that just because i don't think it's um i don't think it's fair because I, I don't want to feed into the into the um into the storm that someone's whipped up by the media around it yeah. It's like him being, um, like getting, getting, uh, getting slammed for the, uh, Hazy, was it Hazy Jane? No, not Hazy Jane. The, um, there was one that had, um, it was it, it, almost like being one of your five a day because it had fruit in it. Sorry. <laughs> and it's like, uh, you got, they, they got slammed and fined by the advertising standards mm. agency. It's like, yeah, but beer obviously is not one of your five a day. You don't like, it doesn't, you don't have People to very, think. Yeah, it's like it's like just just to, just to be aware that like the rainbow uh, the skittles don't actually taste like rainbows and um, Red Bull does not actually give you wings. Like yeah. it, it was kind of that sort of thing. I was like sometimes it's kind of blatant portion. But anyway, we we digress slightly away from sustainability. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I guess I guess like from our listeners' point of view, like these frameworks are, are great and they're fantastic if you've got big organizations buying into them, but how could an organization mm. of a couple million turnover might employ 10 employees, they probably run their company mm. out of their back bedroom. Like how can they yeah. make a difference in um, the same you know way? What? I'm going to give them yeah. a tip. It's a free tip. They can go on GRI's website or on SASB, S -A -S -B, just Google it, and they will come up on SASB and GRI's websites, you can actually download their disclosures. So there are what we call sector disclosures, and I believe there is for transportation as well in GRI very specifically. So I would go in and then I would just read over some of the disclosures. And when I say disclosures, it all sounds very complicated, but a very basic disclosure is where your company registered, 
What do you do? How many employees do you have? And then it goes further into what are you consuming within X, Y, and Z. And if you're looking at the sector disclosure, it will be very specific in the questions. So without sitting down and writing a full report, if you just are seeking inspiration to what your business can do, download it and just spend like one, one evening in bed just skimming through and cross out points where you're like, actually, I could think a bit more about that. I could think a bit more about that. And then discuss that at a board meeting or with your, your peers and employees and say, I figure these are actions that actually applies to us. How about we start just implementing some of that? I think it's a really easy way to get started. SAS has some really good disclosures as well. There's overlaps in some of them, but just if you want to go a bit broad and do your research, that's two good places to go and just draw free inspiration. Okay. I think I'll, I'll put links to those in the uh, show notes yeah. so people can find them. What sort of things, I mean, we can, we can discuss it now and people can hear our, our process of what we would talk about. I think, I think you sent me some notes. Um, I did. Yeah, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to, there you go, this is, there you go. You're, I sent you a whole list. <laughs> you did, you did. I realise I'm actually looking at my email to you, not your email to me. Um, let's find it. Here we go. Yeah, All right. so, should we, should, we, yeah, should, we, should we actually run through? Let's whistle free. Yeah, that's fine. Then Let's we can... go free. So, I have divided it into two sections because I think it's very important that everybody can get involved with this. So, on the basic side, it is for drivers, it is for teeny tiny businesses, everybody can think about this. So, the first point is to use full, efficient driving techniques, such as maintaining a steady speed and avoiding excessive idling. Yeah. Yeah. Simple. So as fuel efficient as we can be, think about it. It just matters because we, we spoke about this earlier. Every little step on, on the way all adds up. Because um, I, th I think before we even dive into these, I think what we're going to look at is the main the main thing we're trying to reduce here is the emissions out of the vehicle. Like the, ultimately, that's what we're trying to trying to mitigate mm -hmm. is the amount of like if we improve the fuel efficiency of a of a HGV. Not only does that reduce kind of carbon emissions and, and, and particulate matter and all the other stuff that kind of comes out the back of a truck, but also you're burning less fuel, therefore you're burning less money. And so I think that's mm -hmm. where there is a direct relation between sustainability and emissions and revenue or, or cost anyway. Exactly. So I think these are all things that every small transport oper operator can do and should be doing and some are exactly. doing i mean the uh, looking at these notes it, it's these are things that a lot of our, our operators are trying to do um mm. but it's something to i i think that th things that around like um driver behavior i guess there's things we could you, there's there's schemes that you could put in place like um most efficient driver can get a, I don't know, a case of beer at the end of the month or something. There's yeah, exactly. Incentivize some incent actions. And just yeah. like creating that culture and, and, and awareness. And I think it's interesting. There was some research done amongst elderly builders in a construction site. Uh, it was a research piece that was done in Denmark, of all places. And the people that did the research assumed that the people on the building site didn't really care about that thing, sustainability, but it turned out that they actually really cared. So I think that's not undermine people that are working everyday jobs, such as drivers, like they might very much care about it. So the fact that we can now incentivize, not purely on, hey, the, the owner of this company is going to make more money, but you are actually also going to contribute yeah. to your kid's future, I think is really important. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's not a detriment to the business. It's not a detriment to the, to the driver or the, the, no, the no. operator. So I think it's, yeah, I can't see that there being any negativity around that. So yeah. So exactly. fuel efficient driving techniques, as we said, what other things could, could operators do then? What's point two on this? It's something that speaks a bit to the same, but planning routes in advance, in advance. Yeah. So unnecessary miles driven is unnecessary um, fuel and uh, wear and tear on the vehicles. I also think it also looks at the type of road you're driving on. So I know that on Google Maps in the last few months, they've rolled out, you can go, I want to be, you can load in your vehicle type and it can tell mm -hmm. you which is the most fuel efficient route. 
because obviously oh, really? some vehicles like diesels are far better at driving kind of at a steady speed at kind of on motorways yeah. petrol, not so much um so if you drive a diesel vehicle it will encourage you going onto motorways and a roads with less kind of uh, roundabouts um if you're a petrol car or a, a hybrid car it will look at the 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 routes that would use more of the hybrid technology than maybe the petrol engine. So I think Google has, I mean, okay, let's not, let's not dive into our uh, ethics on Google. That's a whole <laughs> other conversation which we're not going to get into. Um, but I think, and obviously I know operators don't use Google to plan their routes. They have like specific map systems that yeah. do this because Google is not great for that sort of stuff. But Exactly. I think, and then the backloading, which we touched yeah, on as well, yeah. as a part of that, making sure that one not only are you efficient, but you're also driving around the stuff. Yeah, loaded, yeah. I think I, I must say, just as an aside, and this is kind of just something that I, um, I went to a, a conference pre-COVID. If you remember those times um, up in Scotland, <laughs> um, it was a sustainability and, and emissions. I can't remember what it was called, but they did. Um, a variety of studies it was, it was quite academically driven it was how it was then impacting uh local governance which is really interesting most people mm -hmm. find it dull as dishwater but i found it really interesting um and they were looking at the impact of emissions at a local level not just at a global level and they were looking at um particulate matter and nox and all the things that are really bad to go into your body um uh, at at a very local level and they're looking at i think it was a high street through a local town and obviously you've got cafes and restaurants with so high street going down the middle with heavy like kind of full use road not pedestrianized and they had a pedestrian crossing with a um traffic light and they were looking at they were doing studies of like what are the emissions at, 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 at a local level putting it kind of on the high street and it was like a hundred yeah. times higher than the local than than the kind of the atmosphere and obviously yeah. it's because cars going down and or vehicles going down doesn't doesn't necessarily disperse but what they realized was it was actually not just that it was because they had traffic lights and lots of traffic that caused vehicles to idle and so that was the reason. So what they did, and this is the impact of this study that had on local governance, they removed mm. the traffic lights. Yeah. Suddenly. The roundabouts instead or? Well, it, I, I can't remember specifics, but they basically improved that they, they, they looked at, therefore, traffic flow had a massive <laughs> yeah, exactly. impact on emissions. It doesn't stop it yeah, yeah. emitting into the atmosphere, admittedly, but actually from a local point of view to, to that, that kid that's got asthmatic walking down the road to his school, mm -hmm. You suddenly reduce the amount of those emissions on in that local local kind of bubble yeah, uh, just exactly. by changing up traffic flow. And I thought that was a really interesting exactly. kind of use of and data. It is interesting, right? Because if you take that particular impact further, then you say the kid got asthma. That's really bad for the kid, but that Im gives implications on our healthcare system yeah. where he needs treatment, and all of a sudden for him to get treatment, there's a knockoff effect. But all the setups of having NHS existing in the first place have all of these complex inputs as well, which is yeah. also driving further emissions. So it's not just one simple little, oh, we're drawing that out from the atmosphere. It's the fact that people get ill yeah. and then that feeds into another system. And all of a sudden you're having this monster that are just evolving. Yeah, no, it is. The earth is a closed system. <laughs> everything kind of, it, it, it does nothing goes anywhere so it, it's such a complex web of things that go on that yeah i mean these things don't work the real world things don't work in isolation things are also in, interconnected um exactly i think, I think exactly yeah and so, we talked a lot yeah, about yeah. the obviously the fuel and being efficient but the other thing is that the vans uh and the trucks they have to be built in the first place are they yep. built in an and sourced if it from an ethical supplier where they've don't build it in the most um, sensible way. Once have you utilized it as much as you can, and you're not just upgrading before you actually should be upgrading. And and once you are getting rid of the van, what's happening to it then? It's funny, we had a client conversation with someone that had lots of um, heavy duty equipment and um, uh, different like building machinery. Yeah. And they sent it to some place in Africa, in yeah. lack of a better phrase. And that's lovely in the sense that it prolongs the life of um, the, this machinery. But what happens afterwards? Because that's actually where the real impact are. So, yeah, make sure that the life gets prolonged. It's the same goes for laptops and that kind of thing. But what happens afterwards? That's 
the responsibility yeah. that the business is going to take. Yeah. I think I, 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 went, I went on a holiday to Morocco a few years ago and I noticed that uh, all the trains were ex-Belgium trains. Mm. They, they were end-of-life kind of uh, Belgium intercity trains and they've been shipped out to, to Morocco to be used as, like, extend the life of them. And I think, and you do get mm. a, lot of, um, <clears throat> a lot of HGVs, that a lot of tippers when they don't meet. And the, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because the reason mm. a lot of people replace them is wear and tear, they get more expensive to own, but also they become mm. less efficient. Um, and obviously, mm. as new vehicles roll out, so you had like Euro 5 vehicles, now we've got Euro 6 vehicles, which are obviously more efficient and meet higher standards. Those Euro 5s, like for example, you've got like all the very clean air standards, so you can't drive a Euro 5 into London anymore. You've got to drive a Euro 6 in, so it's obviously more, um, more um, less emissions driving around sort of central London with people and population and stuff. But what do those happen to those old vehicles? They're probably serviceable, they're just not as efficient. Well, they get shipped out to Africa. Mm. So they're not leaving the planet. They're not, not being used. So they're still pumping out emissions, but it's not. Exactly. It's not our emissions. And it's it better that it's being pumped out somewhere else. Well, it's better, it's better for us, but not for the planet. Yeah. <laughs> still going, yeah, yeah, still, exactly. still, still going, still going into the, the atmosphere. And so I think, exactly. yes, yeah, so I think kind of, um, from a commercial point of view, selling it to somewhere to African countries that will make use of them and then actually extend their life is great. But I think it's also balancing that with, well, what emissions are they emitting that maybe a newer vehicle wouldn't do had they bought a new mm. vehicle? So I think there's, it, mm. as I say, it's a complex web of, uh, of, of it really things. Is. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's um, why we haven't sorted it yet, right? No, and I think, uh, uh, like, you get some of the the eco warriors. Um, oh yeah, ban ban uh, HGVs, ban petrol vehicles. It's like. Well, diesel vehicles like yeah okay but but how are you going to get your frappe lappuccino in the morning how, exactly how, how, you, gonna, how, you, how are you going to get your tofu to make your vegan meal in the in the tomorrow night it's like well it's got to get from somewhere isn't it like you can't, exactly, you can't exactly. We, we need transport and logistics to, to function as a society um and also there will be there'll be someone who's done a clever calculation on this but what are the break-even point where you're choosing to discard a completely well-functioning vehicle that has also taken all sorts of emissions and crap to produce yeah. to dump it somewhere to produce a new vehicle that are somehow more efficient? There's a there's a point where it still doesn't make sense, where it's actually better to use what you've got and then transition. I think I think on on, on average, from what we can tell by our clients is about six or seven years is the lifespan before yeah. the vehicle becomes uh it needs to be replaced for for commercial reasons um and that is usually because of the cost of maintenance um and technology changes and so emissions changes stuff and and obviously regulations and legislation changes as well like, mm. like you, you, to drive in london you've got to have a euro six like you have to do that whether you like it or not you've got to replace your vehicles to meet those standards so like mm. there is external factors as well as internal commercial reasons. Um, but obviously you can extend the life of these vehicles by maintaining them well. Yeah, Which is, uh, I think, also one of the points on the yeah, list, right? Make yeah. sure that you are going through maintenance and taking good care of what you've got. Another point is the point around you're driving around with things. There might be stuff that you need to discard and dispose. So make sure that that's recycled properly. You take it to the right place so yeah. that that's that's done um i know that sometimes you wrap things for good reason you can actually get really good uh, sugarcane wraps instead of oil-based um yeah wraps yeah so using the right things in the right context will also help you reduce your impact i think it's difficult until mainstream suppliers um bring those products to market in a easy to use, easy to to um, procure manner, but yeah. also they are priced appropriately. A lot of people won't make those changes, yeah. um, which I think is is tough. But it's a choice, but, yeah. right? It is a if choice. If it is yeah. on the market and you're trying to drive a push and you're trying to also impress the big guy who is procuring you in to do a job for you and yeah. they have to comply, then this is actually a selling point. And yeah. say, do you know what? Yeah. We know it's a little bit more expensive, but we've done these things for these reasons. Yeah. And then in good comms, it could become a selling point that makes you more valuable and therefore you get the job in the yeah. long run. Yeah. So there, and there it's is, just small yeah. steps. Yeah, and it, it is small steps. It's not massive, massive changes we're looking for here. Um, I think, yeah, so I'm kind of looking, looking down the point, uh, yeah, down, yeah. down those points. So you've got like 
uh, reducing waste um, and recycling, which you mentioned. So, and that kind of extends beyond just direct transport related costs. Obviously, you've got kind of materials and parts and oil and fuel and 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 consumables, but you've also got things like PPE, clothing, notebooks, mm. paper, printing all those things that go with running a business. I mean, you've, you've got overheads as a, as a small business. I've got overheads as a small business. Yeah. Transport operators got the same using kind of making sure what you use is kind of eco-friendly and you do recycle and reuse as necessary. I mean, we are here at Hub, we are as paperless as paperless can be. Um, we don't have a printer. Exactly. We don't exactly. print stuff. All of those things. But yeah. also realizing that even digital comes with a footprint. Oh, well, so yes. Yeah. Consuming devices mindfully is, is yeah. definitely one yeah. too. And then I think if you're going just a tiny more advanced than shut the light and, and, and those things, it's if you go, if you went down the really political route, whose goods are you willing to transport around? Like who are your clients? Are there someone you would say no to? Yeah. Because they give you a bad rep. Um, that could be one. I will say but that's quite political. That's like, if you're saying no, then you're really making stands, right? Excuse those technical difficulties there. We've just had Wi-Fi <laughs> drops and stuff. So we'll, um, I can't remember what we got to. I think we were looking at... Um... We're looking at more advanced yes. things that businesses can do. So I can evolve into the next thing and say, I think trying to create an understanding of where you are today, it can be something... It, as simple as calculating your carbon footprint, there is tools available where you can do that for free online. The government have a tool, um, so just Google it. How, how good are how good are they for for transport operators? Because it's quite hard. Because we we as part of one our product, our platform, we have a fuel tracker, so people can actually calculate yeah. their emissions. Um, yes, because it's all based on uh, fuel efficiency, like liters used. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So we built that within it. I don't know how good the government ones are for working out kind of. I have used them for that industry. Yeah. So guilty on that. However, I will say if you can get a good guesstimate, and we always say this to our clients anyway, you will never get it 100% right anyways. Yeah. The important part is that you just create a step in the ground and the somehow baseline and say, okay, this is our starting point. It's imperfect, but that's okay. It gives us a base to create change from so yeah. you get a somehow understanding of where you are and then you start building on it yeah i think that's good enough yeah yeah i think i think i say within hubs platform we have a fuel tracker which people put in their fuel yeah. usage and it automatically ca calculates their uh tons of carbon emissions uh per vehicle per year per month and so i had one customer could see like emitted like hundred thousand tons of CO2 or something yeah. in the last year, which is, which is normal for a small operator. I mean, that's, they're, they're driving thousands of miles a day. It, it's they're, yeah. they're doing their job. Um, but then you see a 1% improvement on that and that's a big material impact. Exactly. Um, and then the other side is that's obviously the emissions, but what are you doing on social? What are you doing to take good yeah. care of your employees? What are you doing for people? around you are there some initiatives you could see could you create job opportunities for people that might not have an opportunities in the past um so what can you do to take responsibility because social is just as important as the environmental yeah no i agree i think it's something that a lot of people a lot of i think not our customers but you do get the the view that a lot of um operators see drivers as just steering wheel attendants they just they there mm. sit their drive which is so unfair because you ain't got a bit, you, you can have the best trucks in the world. You can have the best customer service. You can have the best website to all the things for me. You have the best systems. Mm. You haven't got people driving the vehicles. You've got no business. Yeah. So you need to yeah. look after your people. I mean, I, I, I spend an awful lot of time making sure that our it, hubs internal company culture is one that people give a shit about. Um, and not exactly. just about like, Oh, I, okay. It doesn't work in transport. Like allowing people to work from home. I don't allow people it. They work from home. Like they don't ask yeah. permission. They don't, they don't sing it. Oh, thank you so much. Like, yeah, well, if you're not well, if you want to um, avoid a commute, then just work from home. Like yeah, mental, exactly. mental health days, duvet days. I employ a lot of Gen, <laughs> I, I employ a lot of Gen Z admittedly. And so they are more in touch with their, their emotions. Um, and they're happy to talk about them. We, we talk about, we've had issues in the past where, uh, people have come in, they've had a bad, something's gone wrong at home or they're, they're struggling kind of emotionally. We'll stop a meeting. Mm. 
We'll, we'll call mm-hmm. into the meeting. We'll we'll go and deal with that situation. I do. I, I'm I am only their boss. I'd see them as friends, but I'm first and foremost yeah. their boss. I can't I can't solve the problem, but I can at least allow them to talk about it and, and sort of exactly help. Exactly. Them. That, and you can have mechanisms in place around you to help yeah. them out. So there's that. There's also what opportunities do you give them if they have something they'd like to excel in? Are you actually given opportunities for yeah. further education, um, career progress, attracting? I, I mean stereotypically this is very male dominant industry what are you doing to attract younger females potentially yeah. um earlier on yeah. before they even make a career choice what are you doing to have an attractive environment so that it's not just a matter of attracting them in but also retaining these yeah. different type of personalities and people and within that, your business and i think I've, I've spoken to a few operators about this and that one of the things they say is a lot of people that become drivers really really like driving and they really really like vehicles so giving them the best vehicles which is therefore the newest vehicles helps yeah. with staff retention but that comes yeah. to the point of having the newest vehicles means you're replacing them and then you're having to like and goes back to the original point we we're making around like are you replacing vehicles too often because of, yeah. of, of shiny syndromitis? So yeah, that's something to be exactly. aware of. It's like um, developers; they want the latest laptop, right? Because that's the cool, and they can do the most yeah, things with yeah. it. It's just yeah, and you're precious about your work. Everybody is. Yeah, most people are. I must say, I think developers worth their their soul. Obviously, they need they need laptops, they need machines that can keep up. But I'm talking to to a friend of mine. Um, he at one point was at the bleeding edge of technology. He was working on stuff that didn't have documentation and writing languages nobody had and like doing this. And he was, it was fun. It was exhausting. And being the yeah. latest and greatest is great because like Facebook's built on really old technology. Like the actual yeah. Facebook, like it's not, you don't build products out of cutting edge, bleeding edge stuff because they're going to break too much. It's too unreliable. Yeah. You actually want stuff that you can rely on. <laughs> Not quite the same as, as, as laptops and stuff, but I think kind of the shiny thing sometimes wears off once you, you look at the commercial reality. It's like replacing a laptop every six months. How the newest thing is not commercially viable at all. I mean, yeah, I, exactly. I'm using the same laptop I've had for seven years. It still just about does its job. I'm not a developer. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't like that with my phone. Keep yeah. it forever. But what I will say then is when you replace, buy the newest you can, yeah. because then you also have it for the longest. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people being like, oh, you don't have to buy the newest. Okay, if it's a financial issue, fine, I get it. But if you can actually afford to buy the best version of what's on the market, buy that and then yeah. keep it for the longest. So I've done that with my phone. So I had my, my old phone for four years before I replaced it. And then this is coming up for four years now. And it is... It's slowing down, but I, it was yeah. top of the market. I, I spent like, I, and I bought it outright because, like, financially, it makes the most sense. So I think yeah. I think it was a, a thousand pound phone, but I had it for four years, which yeah. is two hundred fifty quid a month a year. Sorry, so Thank 20, you, yeah, yeah. twenty quid a month, twenty twenty two pound a month or whatever. So twenty quid a month is what I spent on my phone. My contract is nowhere near what the eighty ninety pound contracts would be if you put those two things together. So yeah. And yeah, I've had the same phone for four years and I'll probably keep it for another six months before I replace it. But then I'll get the top of the range so it lasts as long. And I, exactly. I, I do the same thing. I'm, I'm the same with clothes to a certain extent. Like I'll try and buy the best I can and I'll yeah. wear it into the ground. Like to, like, to the to the the weariness of my wife who just like, just get rid of that T-shirt. It's got holes. And it's like, yeah, but it's got a few more wear. <laughs> so, stocks that are more whole than sock. I'm like, I'll, make, I'll last another sock. I'll, I'll last none. Like, it's just, it, I think it's just my mentality. I want things to last as long as possible because yeah. it's not from a financial point of view. It is from a, from a sustainability point of view. Like Exactly. And yeah. it matters. It really does matter. It's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, last new, not this year, but last year's new year, made a pledge to say that I would not buy any new clothes for a year beyond socks and underwear and that's okay right so um so i've kept that and now i'm rolling in so that i'm on my second year now oh, wow, okay. not buying any new fashion but you, you get to know where you're going and i think the things you then find are usually better quality yeah. and it then has something very special about it and yeah. it takes a bit of getting used to and it takes a bit of t- research to where do i then go and buy that t-shirt um but there's plenty of opportunities yeah so yeah, yeah i i, I... I think, I mean, okay, we're, we're jumping around a little bit now, but I, we, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's important because it's all, it's all things we as humans can do to make a little bit of a change. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. the thing. that's what I, that's my goal. So for our Secret Santa this year as, as a company, we, like, Secret Santas traditionally are like, you get a £10 budget, you buy a crappy mug or some crappy joke t-shirt or whatever that's 
been produced yeah. and then the life it probably goes in the bin or it might go to charity if you're lucky but more often exactly. not, sit, sit in a corner of the room before you just bin it what we yeah. what we tried to do for the last few years and this year was really successful is we did a charity shop one so really 10, cool. 10 pound budget so a small budget so it did, doesn't get out of hand and you have to buy it from a charity shop uh the, yep. the more ridiculous the better because it's funny it's great fun to do and some of the things we got i mean casper got this awful uh <laughs> uh puppet that just scared the shit out of us um kai uh, well, our copywriter i bought a pair of roller skates he likes ice skating so i was like you can do it the that's day so now. good um but the idea is it not one of it is a new piece of cotton new, new, is new it's exactly. all recycled or up or like re, repurposed and, and bought second hand but then crucially if you don't want to keep it it goes back to charity and so what you've done is not only you've donated money to charity which is good um you've not actually added any new products to the to the market and that to me is exactly okay. so we've only got eight of us on the team it's not a big thing but it's like little things you can do and i, I really oh, a little that. thing yeah. and again it, it goes into building culture and habit habits yeah. and awareness within the business yeah. which is super important yeah. and it's just one little thing but it's something that they might bring with them home as well and then they'll tell their family about yeah. it this was a really fun thing and should we do it this way this year so it all matters with yeah. those little initiatives i think it does um I'm aware of the time uh, and we're starting to run out of time. So we'll start to wrap up, but um, how can, if, if, if an organization wanted to, to kind of speak to you directly and kind of work out what they could do, what sort of route do they have? And is it something that you would approach? Do you have a small business kind of package or, yeah, or we, product? We would, or fig- so? we would figure it out and we do it very much. And we always, price according to the size of the business so just because you're not Unilever doesn't mean we do not want to work with you we will very much welcome you into our our business and we'd love to see how we can help out I say contact us via the website there's a direct email that goes into the into the info inbox and be picked up either by me or one of my colleagues um so there's that I also say on our website if you are interested in understanding where your business are there's actually a really good virtual test that you can do and that could and i used to say to people it's a really good way of just creating some inspiration about what you could be doing so see where you are and um take that and use it as a starting point if you go through all the way there will be a a a, a targeted summary of actions that your business can take and we spent quite a lot of time formulating it this and it's it's really helpful tool as the feedback so far so um I'll put, I'll put a link in the in the show notes as well so people can find yeah. that um uh, and otherwise I, I must say I, I obviously i think it was john that put me in touch with you initially you weren't on my radar or my linkedin but he was speaking to you and i've subsequently obviously we connected on linkedin and you do post some good stuff so if people want to find you obviously um what's your linkedin i guess your 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 full name it is my name so that's quite straightforward another yep. one is we're getting quite big on youtube at the moment with okay. content of all sorts so just informative content um there's more about reporting obviously um which is the heavier side of it and that's just if you go in and find at planner 1.5 you'll get into into cool. that so there's I'll, tons I'll, of i'll make sure I'll, there. I'll make sure i'll make sure i'll put all the are you, any other platforms that i need to be aware of we're trying Instagram, not as big. So I say the, the LinkedIn and the YouTube are the okay. I'll, I'll put those links in, yeah. the, in, in, in the notes below so <clears throat> people can find you. But yeah, um, I, this is, to me, a really important subject, um, something I care quite passionately about. So I, I'm I'm thoroughly grateful you, you joined me today to talk about it. Um, as I say, um, I, I'm, I've really enjoyed this and um, all the stuff we've discussed will we'll kind of link out to, to the various uh, websites we mentioned because I think it is a very heavy subject um, talking about this and I think it, it's important that people do try and uh, understand their impacts and see what difference they can make. So, yeah, is there any, any other final thoughts you want, to, you want to add before we sum up? I wanted to say that if anyone has any questions or just curious, there's no obligations, but feel free to ping a ping a message and i'm always good with my two cents if it's helpful i think there's definite 
opportunities for us to work in the future as well. I think I've had a few ideas while we've been talking as well. So um, we'll definitely uh, carry on this conversation off, off air and see what happens. So uh, thank you very much, Jesse, for joining me. Um, as I say, um, it's been a pleasure and a delight. And um, I hope our listeners have found the same. So uh, as always, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Morning Cuppa. Um if you have any ideas for guests that you want to bring on or want to recommend, please do give me a shout. Jesse, is there anyone that you'd recommend, actually? I could probably come up with some. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll throw you on the spot there. I've taken our side. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, enjoy, I will always look out for new guests. So, yeah, please, please if um, if you know anyone. But, yeah, uh, listeners, if, if there's anyone you want me to, to talk to and interview and uh, kind of bring your story on the pod, please let me know. Otherwise, um, that's it for now. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Jesse, for joining Thank me. you so much. Big thanks to Jesse for joining me this week, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Morning Cuppa. If you liked this week's episode, be sure to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. That will help us get in front of even more transport professionals just like you. As always, I do love chatting to other transport professionals, so do go ahead and find me on LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, links will be in the description somewhere. Um, yep, that's all for me. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. I've been Alan, and this has been The Morning Cuppa Podcast. Podcast.